This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 59 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, the ethics of riding. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips at a price you can afford. Visit them at equestriancollections.com. And also, Easy Signs Online, the number one farm sign company in the United States. Order online at easysignsonline.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail or hot water, while using their tails as their own flight swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenda Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Well hi Helena Hello, Glenn. Welcome back. Welcome to fall. The weather has started to change here in Kentucky, and I know you guys are a little chilly up there. We've had some chilly nights, yes, but right now it's about 75 degrees and sunny. Oh, wow. Cool. So it it doesn't know what it wants to do here in Rhode Island. Well, we're glad. uh, We had a rainy spell here for a couple of weeks, and the, the bluegrass of Kentucky is very green. We got your your rainy spell. Oh, did you? Yeah, the last three days. It it's been pouring buckets. We should tell new listeners from around the world that I live in Lexington, Kentucky, here in the heart of uh, horse country, and Helena now lives in the south of Rhode Island, right? Yes, I live in Little Compton, Rhode Island, yep. Which is right along the ocean. Right on the ocean, (laughs) yes. You're not too far away. No, no. A beautiful little place there now. Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. In fact, I have to start off the show with a little bit of a sad story. Oh. Um, I don't even know if you know this, Glenn, but we had a an elderly cat. Uh, he was 19 and a half years old. He was all white, and his name was Puka. Oh, yeah, Puka. And, yeah, he was, he was struggling before we moved down here, and we thought that maybe um, the move would be the final thing that, that, uh, that he could handle. But he handled the move just fine, you know, and... Um, we thought, well, all right, maybe he's got another couple of years left in him. But uh, he headed out for the meadow the other day, and he never came back. Mm. So uh, he you took know. a walk. He never goes. Fo- he never goes more than five feet from the back door. And uh, it was a bright, sunny morning. It was nice and toasty, warm. And uh, he was there one minute, and five minutes later, he he got up and walked away. I saw him walking and didn't think anything of it. And. Uh, he, he, he never came back. You know, cats are like that. They know when it's time, I think, and uh, uh, our outside cats would do that. Now, I also know the cats don't move very well sometimes. Uh, our older cats never had a – they always had an adjustment time when, when they moved or they disappeared. Right, um, right. Our younger cat, our Maine Coon, is, is just coming out of his adjustment time. I think he's overeating steak at the neighbor's house. <laughs> Puka is – no, he was having trouble. We knew it was – the time was coming, and um, he really kind of blossomed once we moved to Rhode Island. You could definitely tell that he perked up. He enjoyed it here. You know, you, you just know your pets, and right. I know that he, he really did like the move. 
he liked it here, and we think that um, I don't know. It's just hard, it's heartbreaking, though. You know. I know. It's, but go ahead. The uh, what I'm saying is, it's such a lovely place that, uh, and the meadow out behind our house is so inviting for anything. It's inviting for people and for cats, and I can just see him strolling into the meadow. You know, going someplace wonderful, headed toward the Rainbow Bridge. Yep. Laid down and never got up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yes, it is a lovely place. It's not Kentucky, but it is a lovely place. Well, you know, not every place can be Kentucky. You know, I got a nice email. I got to say, we, we got an email from uh, a lady named, uh, I can't even say her name, Tanina. Um, and she uh, sent an email. She had broken both her wrists. Uh, in a riding accident. There, that's tough. She said she can type because their fingers stick out of the casts. <laughs> oh, poor poor woman. But anyway, she's uh, creating a blog and stuff. And uh, she said, th- uh, I enjoy, I, I not only love, I not only love your show, but enjoy your commentary on having moved to Kentucky and how beautiful it is there. So somebody else thinks my, my commentary about Kentucky is nice. I love your commentary about. I love Kentucky. I, I wish well, we could just. Well, this is a fun week bring... down here because it's the, uh, you know how I love driving. That's one of my things, and and it's the national driving competition down here, which is also the test event for the World Equestrian Games. Goes on this weekend. Uh-huh. And a mutual friend of ours, Rochelle, is going to be down here. Uh, is arriving today. I saw her on Facebook. She said she was going to... Now, she's... Um, is she going to stay with you guys? No, she stays at a hotel, but we're going out to dinner one night this week. Uh, we oh, always go okay. out to dinner when they get here, and it's always nice to see her again. So. Oh, good. She did that last year, too, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she did, and yeah. we got to visit with her for an evening. She's a groom. She's a very good, uh, really semi-professional groom for the drivers. Yeah, semi-professional. Traveled... It's just this girl knows what she's doing. Yeah, and she's traveled all over the world. Uh, and you know, for months at a time in Europe and and things like that. And she just she's a and she's just a lot of fun. Yeah. So we're looking forward to seeing Rochelle. And uh, shout out to Rochelle. We'll we'll be seeing you this week. And you were talking about ethics. You know, it's interesting. You you talked about your cat because our greyhound. I don't know if I mentioned it on this show or not. Has been having issues. She's thirteen, which is really old for a greyhound. Yeah. Uh, that's really old. And she's been having issues. Uh, She's been in, in some pain and things like that and yelping for no reason at all. And, and we knew that she had back issues from her injuries, racing and stuff. But, uh, you know, so two weeks ago, Monday, we were ready to bring her to the vet for her final trip. And that day she perked up. And then she perked up for a couple of weeks and then she had a couple of bad days. And it's like, okay, she's getting worse again. Monday's the day. And she perked up that day. It's like she knows. Um, so it's interesting, you know, we're, we, our topic today is ethics in a little different way, but it's, it's, when, you, when you have to answer that question for your horse or for your dog or your cat, it's always difficult to know, I don't want her living in pain, I don't want her suffering, but is it too soon? You know, you, that's a tough question. Right, and am I doing this for me or am I really doing it for her? You know, whose who's welfare am I putting first here? Exactly. And, you know, when you see her, when, you know, when she's yelping in pain for no apparent reason many times a day, then, you know, then it, it's an easier situation and then you're just ready to go. And then all of a sudden she's better again. Right. So it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's true, though. There's times there are times when they're very clearly telling you what they need. And there are other times where you just scratch in your head going, oh, God, do I what do I do? And, and you sit there staring at the animal. Right. Saying, give me a sign. Tell me what to do. And I know you went through that with your with your dog too, and and 
I just know one of these days she has hip issues and stuff. One of these days she's just not going to be able to get up. And, yeah. you know, that's going to be the, the telltale. But even part. then, that'll be your signal. Right. Even then, exactly. you'll know for sure what it's time to, you know, when it's time. But we had a couple other dogs we let go too long. And they yeah. were in more pain, and the one had cancer worse than we thought till we brought him to the vet that final time. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we're not going to let that happen again either. So right. there is that, that uh, line, and I, you know, it's, it's funny you brought that up, and we're, when we're having the conversation we're going to have today, you're going to make me think and get deep in stuff today. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You knew I was going to happen. I leave you in charge of the program one week, and look what happens. That'll teach you. <laughs> So what are we what are we doing today? Well, we're going to talk about a couple of situations that came up over the last few weeks, um, some that I've experienced personally, um, and others that I've read about and had some feedback about from um, some friends and fellow riders. And then we're also going to talk about um, we're going to talk to a lovely woman named Karen who hosts a fabulous blog called The Ethical Horseman. Sorry, ethicalhorsemanship.com. And it's a very common sense approach uh, to topics of horsemanship, um, riding, competition, training, health from an ethical approach. Not, uh, it doesn't lean too far to the left. It doesn't lean too far to the right. Uh, it just seems to be right there in the middle, very well balanced, um, perspective on all things horse, but from, um, an ethical approach. So we're going to talk to her and actually have Karen weigh in on some of these situations as well. All right, well, let's get Karen on, but let's first, uh, before we forget, like we do sometimes, let's talk about our friends at Equestrian Collections before we get to Karen, and then we'll get into these deep, heavy subjects, which you know I did. I just don't do so well on them, but uh, you're going to have to hold up this show here, Helena. Oh, gosh. Uh, Not like I don't have opinions, though. Equestrian Collections, you know, you and I are both in retail. We've been in retail for a long time, and we know that, that horse people love an excuse to buy stuff. Well, fall, coming into fall is a big excuse to buy stuff because you need new coats, you need new winter riding pants, you need new stuff, sheets and blankets for your horse. There's just always cool stuff to buy in the fall and winter for you and your horse. Well, all we ask is that you check out equestriancollections.com first. They have over 19 different brands of riding coats and jackets for you, and they have like two dozen different brands of of uh, sheets and blankets for your horse. If if you want it, if you know what's out there, if you want the latest styles and fashions, whatever you're looking for, they have at Equestrian Collections. She has over $100 million of product for you at any given time on her website at equestriancollections.com. So when you're going to buy that coat, uh, that sheet, whatever you're looking for for this time of year, Stop over to questioncollections.com first. Check them out. Check it. You'll like her service. You'll like her products. And you'll like her prices. And all we ask is that you give them a shot first. And also follow them on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and search Equestrian Collections. She has almost 9,000 fans now on her fan page on Equestrian Collections. Wow. there are some fun conversations that go on over there. (laughs) So uh, check it out. It's almost like her fan page has almost become... A a forum like like the a Chronicle. community in itself. Yeah, it is. It has, but it, it, you know, it's like the Chronicle forums, only without the crap. Um, <laughs> it's all it's all nice, and you know, none of the whining and complaining and all that stuff. So check it out; it's a lot of fun. EquestrianCollections.com. All right. Well, let's get. Is it Karen? Right. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's get Karen on here, and uh, we'll start talking about ethics. 
Okay, so we have with us today a lovely young woman. Um, her name is Karen, and she's from New Zealand. And she is the author of a great blog called ethicalhorsemanship.com. And I, I think the objective of the blog is um, to write about her to discuss improving horse welfare through enlightened equitation. At least that's her tagline. So we're going to talk a little bit with Karen about her blog, and she's going to join us on the discussion today about ethics in horsemanship. So welcome, Karen. Hi, Helena. Hi, Glenn. Well, hi, Karen, and welcome to the show. We appreciate you being on all the way from New Zealand. Thank you for finding me over here. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know what? I love your blog. I'm a bit of a connoisseur when it comes. There's a reason I have the name Glenn the Geek. Um, I'm a bit of a connoisseur when it comes to blogging and and doing it correctly. And I think you are doing it correctly. And now there's going to be thousands more people around the world that know about you. You, well, you, thank you. That, that's very exciting. Well, it is, and you know, it's always fun to know that somebody's actually reading what you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you talk about ethics on here, and I wanted you did a post actually in the early part of your blog back on May twenty third called "Ethical Horsemanship Defined," and one of the things you talked about, you gave the definitions of ethics and horsemanship, and I wanted to just, I just wanted to go over those a little bit. Uh, Marion Webster says that ethics is a set of moral principles, a theory of system or moral values, uh, and you know that. That's what ethics is. I think anybody, everybody has a good idea of what that is. Um, and also, horsemanship they define as a rider or driver of horses, especially one whose skill is exceptional. A person skilled in caring for or managing horses, a person who breeds or raises horses. And I think we all associate, us horse people, all associate horsemanship with the second one, a person who's skilled in the caring for or managing of horses. And I think that's really where horsemanship became defined through natural horsemanship and through our, our, our friends like our friend Julie Goodnight. And, and you, you, you talk about Ray Hunt in here. And uh, you really cover from the English side to the Western side. You really cover it all. Where, what was your background? Did you start riding young? Uh, are, are you riding English? Do you compete? Uh, yeah, I actually began, uh, I'm, I'm from a farm, and uh, in New Zealand here, horses were used um, in my family, in, in our hill country farm, um, you know, as a method of transport, it's the best way to get around the hills and to, to find young lambs that are calling out for their mothers and to, to be able to view what's going on on the farm, so actually horses were used in that way, and that was my introduction, um, riding really from the age of two. Okay, hold on one second. First of all, that sounds bucolic. I mean, just <laughs> the most beautiful, <laughs> you just painted the most beautiful picture, and New Zealand has some of the most beautiful scenery in the world, and apparently you lived on it. Yes, <laughs> and yes. grew up riding in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, my granddad bought me my first pony, and uh, my mum used to say he was the ugliest pony she'd ever seen. <laughs> and you didn't <laughs> think Oscar so. Was you a loved that pony. pony. <laughs> yeah. What was its name? It's always fun to hear Oscar. the name. What was it? Yeah, o Oscar was a great pony. <laughs> Oscar. I love it. I love it. And you learned how to ride in that pony, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So now, are you into competing at all? Have you ever competed? Um, yes, I've competed a little, but um, my my real interests really are in the training realm. And whereas a lot of people uh, sort of find 
the things that you need to do to get to competition, they seem to often find that the boring part. But for me, that is just the, the fascinating, fantastic part. And uh, in particular, I love, love young horses and starting young horses. Um, they've taught me a lot as well. Um, I currently, I actually run an equine behaviour business. Um, and in that, I get horses with problem behaviours. Um, I start young ones and I teach them riding. So um, She would get along famously with my wife, wouldn't she? Oh, that's, yeah. You think I just pulled her out of the ethos? <laughs> no, I mean, she should fit right in. I mean, you could move in, Karen. <laughs> oh, great, great. That'll save on my accommodation costs. <laughs> well, long, you know what? It's a long drive, though, Karen. <laughs> uh, well, she can get on board with Roz and, and boat over. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or row over. Um, one of the things that I found really exciting or interesting about your blog was that um, you have such a centered approach to horsemanship. Um, I know in the United States, uh, some people poo-poo the term natural horsemanship um, or just the term horsemanship in general. Um, and there seem to the, – the sides of uh, – living with horses are very polarized. You're either into the natural horsemanship thing um, and you're, you, you do take a very ethical approach to riding and training and competing or you don't. And um, I think some people call that old school. Um, but you don't seem to have, you, you seem to bring both of those sides together, at least in your writing. And I'm guessing in your philosophy, uh, how is it that you've come to reach this middle ground and have you always had such a balanced perspective um, on horsemanship? Um, well, I think being off the farm and from a strong, um, a family with a strong wealth, the animal welfare ethic, um, I think that was a good start because you you do things naturally with the horse or with an animal and you, your power, you have good powers of observation. It, it depends a bit what you, you've been introduced to as a child. Also, here in New Zealand, we have quite a strong sort of pony club, which comes more from a background of um, probably more the British um, style of riding, which I guess you would call, yeah, old school. Um, but for me personally, I worked um, fairly early on straight out of, not quite straight out of school, but fairly early on with young horses, um, and, and that helped me develop myself and think about alternative ways of doing things. But in particular, it was one horse that made a big difference because she she provided a few difficulties. And that made me really look, look more at what I was doing and look at alternatives. And that's when I did start myself investigating natural horsemanship. Um, which I think in some cases has a lot to offer, but in others it can blur it can blur um, some of the definitions and the way that some of the natural horsemanship people say things, for example, that the horse must respect me, um, are a bit blurry in fact of how horses truly learn and how they do operate in their environment. Um, so I guess I could say I've come from a little bit traditional and a little bit natural horsemanship as well. Hmm. Okay, so that that accounts for your um, centered position. One of the things that I know the word should comes up a lot, um, especially in competitive riding. And I know in the eventing world, um, one of the topics of discussion lately, as it pertains to ethics, is um, should this or that rider be competing at the level 
that they're competing at at this point. And I think um, more than a few riders are um, biting off more that they can chew when it comes to the level at which they're riding. Um, you have an, one of your posts you write, um, it's a, the, the title of the post is Eight Easy Checks to Learning Horse Jumping. And the most important part of this post is that it consists of questions. How do you know when you've acquired the skill level to safely and confidently ride your horse over fences so as not to encumber him? Um, And then you go on to list these questions that the rider should ask him or herself. And I think this is a cornerstone of good horsemanship, of ethical horsemanship, is answering these questions. Should I be riding at this level? Should I be doing this? Um, Before I do, before I answer that, let me answer these following questions. And I don't think there's a lot of people, a lot of trainers or horse professionals who are putting these questions out there for for riders or, or for horse owners. For example, you have one of you know the first three questions. Are you able to shorten your reins at all gates without disturbing your horse and your hands remain quiet? Can you easily ride in the two-point position at least two circuits of an arena, et cetera, et cetera? Do you have a relaxed, relaxed seat and still hands in the sitting trot? And I think a lot of people, a lot of riders, don't really have a good view or a bird's-eye view of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, tell me, talk a little bit more about answering these questions. Like, how, how do I know? Um, who do I turn to if I don't know if I'm ready for something? Yeah. It was interesting, Helena, that you bring up that, that post. Um, and that makes me think that how I've, I've said that it's really quite a, a rider thing, how the rider is ready. Um, and, and that post talks a lot about... Um, the position of the rider and how to be stable on, you know, knowing whether you're stable on the horse. And that's one really uh, important thing. Um, I think without a trainer, and even even with a trainer, I really think videos and photo footage are really useful to riders. Um, that's a good also, point, video and photo. That's a very good yeah, point. Especially yeah, if you true. have, even if you have a trainer who might be telling you to do something you don't think you're ready for. Sometimes if you see yourself flopping all over the place, you say, all right, I am not ready (laughs) to go up to training level. Yeah. Um, Stefan Peters, uh, the other week here in New Zealand, he said he he uses a video twice a a week. And he looks at himself in terms of, you know, is this this the level I wish to, you know, is this the, the level that I can present to the world? You know, obviously he says he he doesn't work in training as he does in competition. However, he's looking for, you know, the snippets within what he's doing and what he's fixing during a training session um, to to aid him to that end of competition. And um, I thought that was that was a really, yeah, very valuable approach. You know, Helena, you mentioned uh, eventing, and I think eventing has come a long way with the new uh, rules and regulations regarding what you're talking about specifically is is moving up too fast. And, right. of course, over the years I've seen way too many people move up too fast. They get hurt, they hurt their horses, they kill their horses, whatever it is. But I was at a competition that was a middle-level competition here at the horse park, and they were going up to training, and uh, I think there was a, maybe even a one-star at that event. And I was up in the announcer's booth and watching it, and there was this one rider that just was totally out of control, way over her head. 
uh, you know, almost came off a couple times. We were just we were just sitting there with our mouth o- mouths open, and sure enough, they did call down from the booth. They had her flagged, and I do know that later she was flagged and and uh, brought back a level. So, you know, it they are enforcing it. They are doing a better job with it, and I think that that they're trying to get a handle on. I don't know if they're doing that in New Zealand. I th- I think they're doing that worldwide now, especially in eventing. But, right. Um, they really are trying to get a better handle on it, and that's been a common problem forever. It's not. Just well, that, recent, you know. That's yeah. because I think part of it is because um, there's no there's no structure to um, to when you should move up. I mean, there's so much is subjective. Well, and, and part of that too is the subjective in many cases is being thrust upon you by peer pressure or your trainer. Right, uh, but the way the way um, Karen has those series of questions laid out. If you can answer yes to all these questions, then you are indeed ready to start jumping. Um, um, one problem, one problem, problem that I see is um, obviously people having horses brought for them uh, that are at a much higher level than the rider's skill. And, uh, you, you know, money can buy a great horse, but you, you still need to actually put the work in to achieve that level of skill to ride the horse appropriately, and I think that's where one of the big problems is. And people may be able to sit on a on a made or a semi-made horse, but but actually problems start occurring when um, there are deficits in the rider's skill or in the signals and responses of the horse. Hmm. Very good point. There's a lot of money out there, but not a lot of brains. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you Glenn, had you some situations that you wanted to go through. Let's talk about those because I think some of these are pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I, there's there's a few here, and like I said, um, one or two of them I've I've encountered personally, and the others I've I've read about. Um, here's the first sticky situation, and I'd love for our listeners to weigh in. Send us a voicemail or an email, and let's hear what you would do in any of these situations. Uh, the first one goes like this. You pull up to a lovely new stable for your lesson with a new trainer. Uh, There are fancy cars and lots of stalls, but you notice that there aren't any horses outside and it is a beautiful bug-free day. Uh, There's not much turnout, sure, um, but at least a few horses should be out. At least you're thinking this. So you go into the stable and you see all 22 horses inside dark, dusty stalls. The lesson horses are in fair weight, but their tack is just gross and there are signs of neglect. Parked out front, in front of the stable is the owner slash manager's fancy sports car, um, and parked inside are a bunch of girths that are falling apart. So the dilemma is that the trainer's been recommended by a few people that you hold in high regard, yet the environment makes you uncomfortable. What do you do? Uh, so this, this I, I thought was kind of interesting. Um, you know, you're you have your opinions. You feel a certain way about how uh, horses and their environment should be, but this trainer comes very highly recommended. These two things are conflicting. What do you do? I think you'd be looking at who who recommended this. Person. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be saying I think I thought I'd gone to the wrong yeah, wrong um, stable. Well, you know, and I think, though, that the, I don't know, and this is sort of how I feel about it, I think that the way that the barn is kept up, I think that the way that the tack is kept up is all a reflection, an overall reflection on the quality of what you're going to find there. And I'm sure there are exceptions to that, 
And, uh, I, you know, and uh, this whole day is going to bring a lot of emails, so I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I, we want the emails, so that's fine. But, um, you know, I think there are exceptions to that. But I think all of that is an indication of, of care. And I, I realize that you can take care of your horses and, and you know, have a messy barn and, and that kind of thing. And the horses are fine. But, but I, I, well, there's some amount of pride that goes with that, too, I guess. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think you hit the nail on the head that uh, how you do the small things is, is um, you know, it's part and parcel of the overall result as well. And and the attention to detail with horses is really important. Um, so, yep, I would definitely be that, that fun. Um, working out ways in which it might be possible to get it improved. Right, and there's, I there's. Know, I don't know about you there in the states, but um, I, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit tricky. You know, you did mention there was some neglect, and certainly we do have authorities for that um, sort of thing here. So um, neglect is a whole another kettle of fish um, compared with just the tax, or I can't really say just the tax, or the horses being kept indoors. Um, but yeah, the, the whole neglect thing um, opens a whole other can of worms. Yeah, I mean, the first word that comes to my mind um, when I read about this situation is ego, um, and it, it sounds like sometimes I, I don't know. And you know, there there can be so many different variables at play, um, and it's very difficult for a lot of horse businesses to make enough money to have, you know, lots of nice tack and to own a farm large enough where the horses could be out all day long. You know, that's obviously the holy grail of the horse business owner and that can't always happen. But if you look at the big picture of the situation, um, it makes you wonder, you know, whose ego, this well-known trainer and their fancy car, um, but they can't afford, you know, to get a couple of new girths. Just, you know, you have to let that flavor your <laughs> the menu. And I don't think it's probably that they can afford to get a couple new new girths either. I think that probably has little to do with it. Uh, it's all in the priorities, yeah, right? That are yeah, right. set forth. You know, there you did another interesting post too that sort of goes along with this. You were talking about neglect and animal welfare. You did one called "Do Competition Horses Achieve the Five Freedoms of Animal Welfare," which I thought was kind of a provocative posting that you did. Yeah. And the five freedoms are freedom from thirst and hunger. Well, I think that most people accomplish that. You know, there are a few that don't, and they end up getting their horses taken away from them. Freedom from discomfort. Freedom from pain, injury, and disease. Freedom to express normal behavior. And finally, freedom from fear and distress. So Mm. I thought those were five interesting. We could talk about each one of them here, which we don't have time to do. But I just thought it was interesting, the five freedoms. I'd never heard it quite put that way before. Okay. Well, that's interesting because uh, they they are... That idea of the five freedoms actually is quite well known, Um, and originated, um, I believe, over in England. But we we hear our um, animal welfare um, government body actually uses the five freedoms as as the guide, as uh, one of you know the sort of the guiding principle. Um, yeah, and and I think it's going to it's an idea concept that's going to prolifer, proliferate um, around the world, and it, it's really is the accepted 
um, welfare guidelines in a, in a way. Um, and I think increasingly we're also going to see those those guidelines needing to be met in things like food production um, as, as well as you know, things like horses used for sport. But um, certainly here in New Zealand, uh, pigs and, and chooks are looked at and, and those types of things, but they're always considered within those you know, those guidelines. Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. You have the next one here, Helena. Uh, <laughs> you see a fellow... We went through this at a show the other day. Uh, you see a fellow boarder mistreating her horse and she doesn't know you've seen anything. Do you speak up about it? And if so, to whom? You know, uh, we had a situation where a friend of ours actually saw this at her workplace, where she works at a farm. And, you know, what do you do? I mean, you go to the you go to the boss and risk getting fired. You know, what do you do? Let's say it's at work and you see a fellow coworker doing it. Mm-hmm. And you, 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 you don't know whether the owners know that this is what they do or what they've, you know, you've just started this job. What do you do? Right. It's a very interesting question. It's a hard one. Um, so morally, if we're talking about morals and if we're talking about ethics, Karen, if you've just started this job and you see a fellow, you know, uh, a, somebody that's also work a co-worker mistreating a horse, do you go to the owners and thre- threaten to get fired or do you, you know, do you just quit because you shouldn't be working there? And, con- and if you stay there, are you condoning that behavior? Oh, I, I think um, I think you you definitely have to approach either the the person. Um, I would say either and either the person doing uh, doing what they're doing. Um, you know, say that it's been noted, and you know you would expect them to stop and or perhaps discuss other ways of doing things, etc. And either either do that and or bring it to the attention of the um, the barn o- owner. I think probably approaching the person who's doing it first might be... It gives them an opportunity to change their behaviour without, you know, putting everything on the line. Right. However, I, I, I do think personally I couldn't work somewhere where these things were going on and uh, if, it, if it doesn't meet with my own personal ethics, there's no way I can actually be associated with that place. So, and I have, yeah. Um, but I think you're right, Karen, that to, to go to the offending person first, because then you're giving them the opportunity to change their ways. Even if you put it in the form of a question, you know. Um, absolutely. Hey, yeah, is there another really way? Right. Is there another way that you can get this horse to do what you want him to do? Uh, or is there another way to to approach this? And maybe they'll answer that question for themselves. I would personally, I would be, af- I would be afraid to go to the boss or the barn manager in, in case the barn manager thought the same way. Well, that, but that's, then again, that's, I think was the dilemma here. You know? But then again, if they do, like Karen says, I, would you want to be associated with that type of environment? Well, and I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, me uh, personally, believe it or not, and I know nobody's going to believe this after listening to this show for <laughs> 60 episodes, is, is I don't like confrontation. And hmm. and so I would I would probably just leave, figuring that you know if if this kind of thing goes on, I just don't want to be a part of it. Um, right. uh, you know that doesn't accomplish Karen's goal though. When you think about ethics, did I do the ethical right thing by just leaving and not confronting the issue? I probably yeah. wouldn't have. 
ethically hmm. confronting the issue is probably the right thing. And then if you're going to end up leaving or getting fired anyway, at least you've tried. Well, there are degrees of ethics, I guess we could say then, and now we're getting really deep because I would say that stepping away and refusing to be involved with, uh, you know, people who treat horses the way that, you know, mistreat horses is ethically okay. Um, You know, maybe it's just not within your power to be confrontational. We would like to be. I think it would be so nice to have the courage to go up to somebody and say, hey, knock it off. What you're doing is wrong. And some people have that courage and other people don't. But if you have the courage to turn around and walk away, you know, that's just a different degree of, of ethics, perhaps. Okay, and all our listeners now that are on the floor laughing at my last <laughs> comment because they don't believe it uh, can get up now. And, and Karen, let me ask you this one. I love your next question. Ask your next question because I can't, okay. where'd you come up with this one, by the way? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, well, then we'll ask Karen if they actually do this down there. I'm okay. not sure. Okay. If you were invited to a fancy dinner party overseas and horse meat was on the menu, would you try it? Do you, do you have horse meat down there, Karen? Do they- it doesn't have to be overseas, but I'm coming from a U.S. perspective. Yeah. We, um, well, we, we don't, we're not typically served up horse meat, uh, no. Okay. But I do believe, I do believe some horses are are used for, for yeah, exported. Yeah, they're, they're, well, that's, uh, our, exported. that's our situation here, too. Uh, uh-huh. They go to Canada or Europe, most mostly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so um, there's a good question well, for you, Karen. You. What's that? <laughs> there's a good question for you. What would you do? Yeah, I'd try it. Would you? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. I, I think I might, too, just to say I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be a real dilemma if you liked it. I know, I know. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And any meat I mean, with not, A1 sauce is good. So, are you both vegetarian? You obviously not both vegetarian. No, we're not vegetarian. No, no, not even close. Not even yeah. close. You see, the way I guess the way one of the things I think regarding food is that um, the the animal has to live well and die well, and I I do think those two things are really important. The the horse's life um, or the animal's life during its lifetime, but also um, that it's um, killed in a, a kind, responsible way and that does not suffer. You know, right. to me, those are really important things rather than is it, a, is it a horse or is it a sheep? Right, right. I always mm-hmm. joke to my husband, I say, I'd rather eat our neighbor's pet. Because at least I know they lived a nice, happy life and that they were humanely uh, slaughtered and, you know. This show isn't even out yet and I'm getting emails. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. So, Glenn, would you try it? No, I don't think I would. And that's only because I'm very picky about what I eat anyway. But, Do you think Jen would try it? Oh, no, I don't think either one of us would. I, I think we just, I, I just don't, you know. But that's not out of a curiosity factor. That's just out of a taste factor. Well, no, it's mostly out of its horse meat. And I just don't want to eat a horse. Okay. I think that's where it come, where I come down on. I just don't want to do, like, I wouldn't eat whale or... Um, or dog. Or, or dog, oh, right, exactly, yeah. or cat. You know, and, and, you know, when you think about that, if you want to think about that from a true moral perspective, now we're really getting deep. Yeah. What is it? It's only because we have put our morals on which animals we choose to be pets or not. 
but and it's how you perceive them. You know that that doesn't change you how you feel about them. And when you're emotionally attached to something, right, it, it does make it difficult to see them as food. Right. And and and, and it's you know there are some cultures that um, wouldn't wouldn't think of eating a cow. You know, and just, you know, every animal is sacred to 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 somebody different. Right, and that's because we put our our values on on those particular animals, and and you know some people just don't have a problem with with horse meat. They view it as another. They view it as livestock. You know, right. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, I, you know, again that that comes down to to their to their uh, upbringing and and what they're used to. Right. Um, just like I wouldn't eat whale, but there's people out there that do. You know, yeah. so. Uh, I, I was um, I was once in Fiji horrified to find that I'd actually been fed up um, some endangered turtle meat. What kind of and meat? The, pardon? What kind Indeed. of meat? Turtle. Turtle. Okay, gotcha. Turtle. Yeah. Or you might call them tortoises. Uh, and so I, I was horrified. Um, to learn this and obviously you'd think okay well ethically what did you do about that there's nothing you could do by the time you'd eaten it well no I did do something about that when I got home I, I phoned up um, our um, our authorities here to see look what what was the story because and what could be done because the turtles there was a law that yes they could eat them but only for ceremonial purposes and I don't find um, just a tourist coming along, a bunch of tourists, that's not a ceremonial purpose. Um, so, yeah, that, that's one of my most horrific um, food stories. So you're saying even though the deed is done, then you can still do something after the fact just by talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I had turtle soup once and hated it anyway, so I... Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> I can't... My, you know, my husband's really? a chef, and, and he sometimes makes rabbit... Um, and I've tried, I, I did, I promised him I would try it just because I would. And, um, I can't get mentally, I can't get the image of eating a bunny out of my head. I, and it, it makes the meat taste, um, offensive to me. Yeah. It makes it because I do know that I ate it once and didn't know what it was and, and enjoyed it. I ate it the second time knowing what it was and the taste was absolutely Gross. Yeah, we've um, owned chickens and we eat chicken. So, I mean, you know, it's, again, it yeah. comes back to that, that limit that we all put on ourselves. And I think we all put that limit on ourselves, not just in food, but in, in anything we do. There, we always talk about you went over the line. Well, everybody's line is different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. some lines are illegal, but, but you know, it, <laughs> <laughs> some lines are just immoral and some lines are, you know, unethical. And it's all what line we choose to go to, and 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 that, that's that's such an individual thing. Um, well, until you get to like Karen writes about those um, the guidelines of ethics of of animal welfare, there are there are groups and there are organizations that know that you need to put those lines, you need to draw those very distinct lines for people to live within, because there are people out there without any ethics, right. And you have to draw the line in the sand for them. Right. You know, for the rest of the world, people who have, who, who sort of live with a conscience, <laughs> um, we draw our own lines. And they're wavy at times. But for the most part, we try to do the right thing. Um, but there are more than a few people who, who really aren't interested in doing the right thing. They're just interested in 
something else. And for those people, I think we have to be very distinct. What do you think, Karen? Yeah, well, um, I, I, you've just got me thinking about uh, different cultures and their use of, of horses. And uh, it's, it's easy to think that um, places where donkeys and horses are loaded up with um, goods to carry and they're skinny and not eating properly or um, being thrashed around by tourists or whatever, it's easy to think, oh, well, that's a welfare issue. But actually also in these, um, in our culture, which is rather more well-off, um, I see similar abuses of what I consider to be similar abuses when you've got a hot day and you've got horses over-rugged in, in heavy covers. Um, or we, we call them covers, you might call them rugs. And these horses are really hot, sweating up. Um, you know, to me, that, that's an abuse as well. Um, so, and it's a, an abuse of the wealthy, Right. So we've we've got all sorts of things that that are yeah requiring requiring careful consideration I think by each horse owner. Yeah, and some of that you know then some of it too. If you and we're going to have to wrap it up, believe it or not, because we're already at an hour here. <laughs> uh, I can't believe that. I just looked at the clock and went, oh my god. Um, some of that's part of that. And Helene and I are both in the in the in the retail business of the horse world. And, you know, there were horses, it was 58 degrees down here this morning, and there were horses outside with blankets on. <laughs> you know, it's just, it wasn't that, you know, you don't put blankets on at 58 degrees. Um, but some of that is just ignorance, um, rather than willful. Uh, you know, it's just ignorance. It's just, I'm cold, I, I need a jacket at 58 degrees, so my horse does. Right, 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 right. You know, they're not being intentionally right. careless. No, they're just, right. they're they're imposing how they, what they're like, you know, what their feelings are, what yeah. the human side is on their horse, and that's right. the biggest, that's the biggest mistake people make when blanketing. Um, right, exactly. That, that's, that's, Glenn, let me cut in there. That's yep. also the biggest mistake people make in training their horses. Uh, anthropomorphizing about their horse and thinking that the horse's uh, level of um, cognition is the same as ours and attributing the horse's behaviours to things as though the horse meant to do it because of, you know, he's being mean or nasty or whatever, rather than that he's responding to his environment or that his signals, his aids, are confused. Right. So, um, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Be it, be it horse management or be it training, I really do think uh, considering the horse to be like us is a, is a bit of a problem. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll let it go at that. We encourage everybody to send us emails. You can write to us at uh, either, you can write to us at Glenn with two N's at horseradionetwork.com or Helena, Helena at horseradionetwork.com. We want to hear how you feel about the topics we talked about today. And you can also go comment right on Karen's blog at ethicalhorsemanship.com. I you know, we encourage everybody to take a look and read it. Helena and I have we have certain blogs. We we talk about some blogs sometimes, like regarding regarding horses, but we only talk about the ones we feel are really good and are posting constantly and are doing a really good professional job with it. And Karen, we congratulate you because we do think you you are doing that. So, oh, th- thank you, and I, and I'd love to hear from your listeners. So, yep, jump on there and and uh, tell me your point of view. 
Well, that's great. I'd love to hear from you. <clears throat> yes, and thank you for joining us today, Karen. It's um, I think it's a a, a good conversation starter. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about this stuff for hours and hours and hours, but we only have you're, one hour. You're welcome. I I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Well, it was nice to have Karen on for no other reason for me. Obviously, she knew it, she knows what she's talking about with uh, ethics and everything. But I love, I just love Kiwi accents. <laughs> I'm a sucker for for female <laughs> Kiwi accents. That's one of my weaknesses. I got to tell you, we have a we have a good friend that lives in uh, New Zealand in Plymouth, and we you know I, we just call and talk to her because I love her accent, and she has the same exact accent as Karen. So uh, she I, she asked in the early, in the beginning of the podcast if we had trouble understanding her accent, and I didn't have any trouble no. at all. I didn't either. I, you know, if anything, it was just because our connection from New Zealand to here was a little weak. But right. no, she was uh, she was great. It was good to have her on, and it was very interesting conversation. Now, next week, Helena, my head hurts. We're just gonna have to go a little I'm lighter. So- next I'm week. sorry. I know that's me. I just dragged <laughs> right down into the deep. <laughs> but you know what? It's good to do this every once in a while. We tend to do very light, fluffy shows. Yeah. So it's good to uh, make our brains uh, go every once in a while with the deep topics. Uh, and we certainly do have opinions between us. And I know I'm going to be getting a lot of emails about you eating horse meat. So. I, d- I didn't say that I would like it. I, I just I said I would might try it just to prove that I would hate it. That's all. All right. I just want to go on record and remind everybody that I said I wouldn't. Uh, I just thought I'd go there. So you can address all of those emails to Helena. That's H-E-L-E-N-A. At Jeez, I would lay down my life for a horse. I would lay down my life for anything with four legs and fur. And I think anybody that has listened to this show for the last uh, year, over a year, will know that about Helena. <laughs> She's actually a sucker for all living animals. But I wouldn't blanket my horse at 58 degrees. That's true. <laughs> Well, be sure to listen in again next week as we'll have another uh, wonderful topic, a deeper light, uh, whatever. We do it all here on, on the Stable Scoop Radio Show. All of our show notes can be found at stablescoop.com. You can find a link to Karen's site as well. And we do want your feedback. We want to hear how you think about these deep topics. Uh, you know, Or have you run into any dilemmas or ethical situations that you were wondering how you were going to handle it or you don't know how to handle it, send that to us. And we'll, we'll talk about that in future episodes too. We'll, we'll get those emails on the air. Uh, and you know, you, we also want to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Collections. After hearing this topic of conversation today, she might say, I went off that show, but, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I think she's uh, she would have loved this discussion today, actually, but you can visit them at equestriancollections.com. And Helena, you have a website as well, don't you? I do, www.thebarnworks.com. And we haven't mentioned in a very long time that you do web design, and you do a lot of web design for horse, the horse industry. I do indeed, I do. I, web design in particular because you get the most bang for your buck, and we all know that uh, horse business owners really need to get make their dollars stretch. So, so I always a, start them out with a website. You have a farm, a breeding business. If you're a competitor, uh, she does a lot of competitor websites. Uh, if you have any of those things, you can get a hold of Helena, and she'd be happy to talk to you about building your website for you. That's at thebarnworks.com. Well, Helena, until we get a, meet again next week... We will be back then with a much lighter scoop. 